I'm usually regarded as a very predictable person. But uh, this service, I'm going to break away from that just a little bit. It'll probably slay everybody, but uh, you'll have to put up with it. First of all, a word to the choir. Uh, you had the misfortune of having to listen to me three times this morning. <laughs> but that's all right. I've had to listen to you three times as well. Second, this has been a very emotional morning for me, so much so that I, I couldn't go out in the fellowship hall. I, I left as quickly as I could get away. I just could not see any more dear, wonderful old friends. It was too much for me down here. Third, I have noticed uh, in the preaching of Dick and uh, Scott, that uh, you are much more mobile than I am. <laughs> it, <laughs> that you move around much more than I do. You see, I do have a little humor. Fourth, I want to welcome to the church this morning some members of my family. My darling daughter, Carol. Stand up, Carol. She, she was a little girl in this church many years ago. Her husband, Larry, stand up. My granddaughter, Lisa, you stand up too. And this family has adopted five children. After having two children of their own, both college graduates, my grandson graduated summa cum laude, magna cum laude, in electrical engineering. There he sits over there. I didn't see him. Stand up, Scott. That's my grandson. And my adopted grandchildren, would you stand up so that you may be seen? Well, I know I took time, speaking time, that I wasn't supposed to take, but there's no service no service that follows this one, so we're not quite as rushed as we were before. Now, it was 50 years ago today, on December 11, 1955, what a little girl you were then, <laughs> that we had the first worship service of what was to become the First Presbyterian Church of Bellevue. On that morning, 189 people gathered for worship in downtown Bellevue in a building known as the Chapel of Flowers. 
which no longer exists. It was torn down several years ago when there was a big reorganization of the Bellevue Square. We worshiped there for three years, and we were very fortunate to have that building in which to worship because it had a churchy atmosphere inside. And so many of the newly started churches met in public school buildings, in all-purpose rooms, in school libraries, some in the school gymnasium. So we were very fortunate to have that building. We worshiped there for three years until at last in November of 1958, we had our first worship service in our own brand new, newly completed, sparkling building, all of our own, located at this spot, a little over in that direction, at the corner of 19th and 100th. It's now known as the Chapel Building. We were so happy to move into that church. It meant so much to us, into that building. We had an expert from the denomination, an expert in church development and new church growth, come out and evaluate our situation. He interviewed some of our prospective members. He looked at our resources. He looked at the community of Bellevue. And then he reached his profound conclusion that he thought there was every possibility that we might someday be a church of 400 members. <laughs> we believed that that building was the church building. It would seat 300, and with two services, that would take care of 600. It had... 13 classrooms for Sunday school classes. It had a large fellowship hall. I forgot I'm supposed to move around. <laughs> it had a... Uh, A large fellowship hall, it had a kitchen attached to it, it had offices, and we were so proud of that building, it never occurred to any of us that that was the first unit of anything. It never occurred to any of us that later on other additions would be made to the church. That was to be our church building, but it was not to be because the congregation grew. And after a time, we added another educational wing that gave us an additional 18 classrooms. And then still later, we added to the sanctuary, which gave us a capacity of 500 people. And so wonderful things began to happen, and wonderful things have continued to happen unto this day. It was on March 4th, 1956, 
that the Presbytery of Seattle officially organized us as the First Presbyterian Church of Bellevue. At that time, we received 154 charter members. Now, when I was a boy growing up in Westminster Presbyterian Church in Seattle, I didn't have the foggiest idea what a charter member was. But uh, there were some charter members in that church, and I formed some boyhood conclusions about them. I concluded in the first place that there were very few of them, just a mere handful, and they were diminishing in number all the time. In the second place, I observed that they were all very old, ancient, (laughs) creaky, uh, about like I am today. You know, one thing after another gives out if we live long enough. And with me, especially in my ears, I have a very hard time hearing. And then I also concluded that the other members, for some reason or other, I couldn't understand why, held those charter members in high esteem and regard. Well, history has a way of repeating itself. And here we are today in our church. I have been told that there are 10 of those 154 charter members still active in this church. Only 10. Many have moved away. So many have passed away. They're gone from us. In the second place, we too are getting old and aged and creaky. I know that I certainly am, and it happens to all of us that we live long enough. I'm 83 years old now, but way back then in those days, I thought I was one of the young fellows in this congregation. But there's one thing. No matter how old any of us were then, we're all 50 years older now, (laughs) and we feel it. And in the third place, I trust that the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who have come into the membership of this church since those early days have a feeling of regard and respect and esteem for those charter members. For they were the ones who stepped out in faith, who felt they had a calling from God, that he had laid on them a work to be done here in this community. And so they stepped forward in response to God's call, and they did his work, and wonderful things have happened. They laid the foundation for all that this church has today, its membership, its organizations, its programs, its real estate, 
everything. Now, I have long had the feeling that there were three distinct periods in the life of this church, and that each one of them reflected the imprint of the senior pastor of the time, the imprint of his character, his personality, his likes and dislikes, his fears, his bravery, his courage, uh, the way he did things. Um, each senior pastor left his imprint on this church. In the July issue of the Chimes, the quarterly publication of our church, there's a brief paragraph that seems to bear witness to what I have just said. It says, from Frank Burgess, our first senior pastor, whose desire was for, quote, Christ to be made known, end quote, in the growing Bellevue community, to David Dilworth, our second senior pastor, whose teaching expanded our faith and commitment to world mission, to Dick Leon, our next senior pastor, our builder. Dick's ministry symbolized building by his faithfulness to building up the body of Christ, building up the church, and building up the kingdom of God. I think that each one of us, myself, David Dilworth, Dick Leon were the right leaders for this church at the time that we were here. Scott, you're still somewhat new here. You still have a long time ahead of you of laboring for Christ in this church. But when the time comes in the providence of God for you to leave, I know that you will leave with the heartwarming feelings of the love and affection of the congregation, the togetherness and the personal friendships that you had with so many people in this church, and with the warm support of the members of this church in following your leadership. That's what the three of us had when we concluded our ministries here, and I know that you'll have it also. Scott, the Lord be with you, and the Lord's blessing be upon everything you do in this church. At the last service, when 
the children's choirs came in. And this section here was just filled with children of all ages. Uh, there are many changes that take place in the world, and many changes have taken place in this church. But one change that will never take place is that little children up front can't resist <laughs> the temptation to wave to their parents. And so somebody back there, I can't quite tell who it was, but she has on a pink sweater, uh, waved at me, and I waved back at her. Reggie Witherspoon would be proud of your clapping. <laughs> Remember when we first started those uh, ministries of Mount Calvary, we were obviously quite rhythmically deprived. And uh, Lori had the choir. I don't know if you noticed, not only sitting there, only they're going three things at the same time, clapping, singing, and moving from foot to foot. I mean, that's <laughs> high scale. Well, I, it takes uh, my breath away being back with all of you. Um, as with Frank, it's a deeply emotional experience, uh, and uh, I, I've missed you, and I, I just love you, and it's a thrill to see all of you uh, sitting in the same seats that you were five years ago. <laughs> Haven't moved a bit. That's a good sign. Tom, Billy, Ari are same same role as every time. That's right. Susie Porter, I, you were three rows over last time, Susie, but I, that's pretty impressive. That's good. That's real done. You know, in the, in the book of uh, Corinthians, Paul writes uh, about uh, the role of leadership. And at one point he says to them, uh, when he's talking about different leaders, he says, I planted... Apollos watered, but God is the one who gave the growth. And neither those who plant or those who water matter. It is God to whom the honor and the credit belongs. And that is certainly our story here as well. We would perhaps translate that a little bit differently. We would say Frank planted, David watered, I spread a little fertilizer around. <laughs> But it is God who has given the growth. And that growth has been uh, uh, a thrilling thing for all of us to be a part of, and certainly for me. The most significant 15 years of my ministry uh, were the most demanding and gratifying years uh, and the most uh, endearing years here with all of you. I try and think back to uh, uh, what God was doing, and I've, I've come up with a two-point sermon that's impressive already. I mean, if, if uh, Frank can learn to move around a little bit, I can move to a two-point sermon from my normal three. And uh, both of the points I want to make uh, are derivative, really, of the mission statement that we adopted about ten years ago. We memorized that together, didn't we? Uh, let me refresh your memory just in case it's not uh, right on top of it. This is how it goes. We worship one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we name four things that God does for us. Who loves us and calls us, calls us to himself. Who transforms us. The wonder of the gospel is God loves us wherever he finds us. But he loves us so much he doesn't leave us where he found us. Thank God. But he transforms us. 
and sends us. And the sending God has three things that God sends us to do. To proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we say. To be a caring community. That's who we are. And to serve the world. That's what we do. So the two things that stand out from that in my recollection of our time together, is first of all, the priority of worship. Here is the deep human question we all need to ask. What can we, who have nothing, give to him who has everything? And the answer is worship. We can praise God, adore God, give thanks to God, and gather in worship. It's the one thing we who have nothing can give to him who has everything. A couple of the ways that we try to highlight and focus on worship, we first recognizing that uh, in Reformed worship, besides the preaching, is the whole ministry of music and the delightful gift that music has for all of us. And so we made a significant choice of moving from a part-time leader in our music ministries to a full-time person dedicated to music ministry of the church. And that's when we brought the singing Scott on. And uh, amen. What a time. And with a lot of the decisions this church has made, we had no idea the kind of explosion that would bring to this community of faith. The second thing we did is we modified the space that we worshiped in from that beautiful A-frame that was fine for the first several hundred people, but didn't work for the rest of us. Uh, That uh, sanctuary of 29 rows, I always counted who was in the back row, uh, the 29 rows that held 500 people, we redesigned space, moved here to this sanctuary, literally in the round, only 15 rows to the back row, Uh, We have more space for back row people. There are more back rows available, but uh, you're closer. And we have the opportunity to see one another as the gathered community, a facility that was built around theology. The people of God gathered around the word, the choir, the music uh, ministry, uh, slightly to the side so that nevertheless, as they can address the congregation, nevertheless, they are not behind the rest of the service, communion and preaching and are a part of the rest of the experience that we have together. I'm a great fan of this thesis. We design our spaces, and our spaces shape our lives. And the design of this octagon, built on the theological principle of the eighth day, in the early church, the eighth day was the the day of resurrection. The Sabbath, the seventh day was Saturday. The eighth day was the Lord's Day, the day of resurrection. And so this octagon built on that principle of eight, which you see reflected in almost all of the architectural pieces, was a celebration of the resurrection day, the day of life. And the gathering of this community in this space has literally transformed the priority of worship in our life. The second movement of God's Spirit 
is not, uh, neither of these are brand new to the life of the church, but they are ways I think God enhanced his work in our midst, is the whole call to mission. When you look at that mission statement, the God who loves us and calls us to himself transforms us, not for our sake, but for the sake of the world. He sends us. He is a sending God. The root word of sending in the Greek literature is apostolo, the apostle, the apostolic work of God. We are the apostolic people being sent to do three things, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, to be a caring community, and to serve the world. This church has always had that missional design, but again, in these last 15 years, we have seen that missional focus uh, explode and uh, grow with dynamic dimensions. One of the things we did, there was just one mission committee when I came, and it dealt with mission in the world. Uh, It sort of expressed the classic understanding of mission, which is across another body of salt water. We had a salt water complex about mission. It had to happen in some other part of the globe. Well, obviously, our modern understanding of the world we live in, that mission needs to happen here, too. Uh, We are somewhat alien in our own culture these days as Christians, and mission needs to happen out the back door and the front door of the church as well as in the distant global areas. So we created two mission bodies, the global outreach and the community outreach, in order to focus our mission nearby as well as far off. And that simple little design has, again, given us the facility to impact those around us. We had the East Side community bring its students in. Uh, And uh, since then, you've gone even further. Your Stevenson School Project, a spectacular uh, event of reaching out and sharing the gospel by caring for the people around us, simply serving the community. You know, it's quite interesting. If you read through the Bible, every theophany... Every vision and experience of God has these same two components, worship and mission. Abraham, I will send you. God, the sending God, sends Abraham to a country that you do not know. Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. I will send you to set my people free. Isaiah, in the temple, touched by the Holy Spirit, is asked, who will go? Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. And God sends him to be his voice to the people. Jesus says, go into all the earth, making disciples of all nations and baptizing them. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. You shall be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The lens through which you rightly read the Bible and understand the church is the missional lens. We are a people sent into the world. John Stott has this wonderful brief quote. He says, Worship that does not beget mission is hypocrisy. Should have said heresy as well. Worship of the sending God that does not recognize we are being sent is hypocrisy and heresy. So, these are the two things that I see 
as I look back on our 15 years together, that God was at work in a special dimension. Frank planted. David watered. I blew a little hot air and spread a little fertilizer. But God is the one who has given the growth, creating this plant that has grown to maturity. Almost like this plant has moved out of the adolescent age, which is so self-aware, into the mature age of being concerned and responsible for the world around us. And that is God's work that continues here in our midst. We didn't realize when we built this facility that we thought would be big enough for all of us that we were going to bring the preaching Scott to follow the singing Scott, and we would run out of space. But uh, God will find a way uh, to uh, continue to bring life and to flourish this community under the marvelous leadership that he has brought in bringing Scott to us as well. I suppose the last of all things that I think of when I think of these years is my love for you and my gratitude for our relationship and our time together. Uh, You are one of the most remarkable communities of people that I've ever known. And your love for one another, your love for the Lord, your patience and love for those of us who lead you is something that we are eternally grateful for. I've missed you and uh, I love you. I delight in the stories of celebration that come from all the good things happening. And I wish you every bit of God's continued good blessing in the 50 years that come ahead. God bless you. A couple of years ago, I was doing a wedding where at the end I pronounced the couple husband and wife, marched them down the aisle, but forgot to have them kiss. You know, sort of the highlight of the whole thing. And it was very awkward and embarrassing. The bride was furious. We had to stage a kiss so the photographer could get a picture of it. And that night when I was at home, whenever I would think about it, I would make this groaning sound and I'd say, oh, I can't believe I forgot to have them kiss. And my wife kept saying, oh, smoochie. That's what she calls me sometimes. Can't believe I'm telling you this story. Oh, smoochie, don't think about it. They're on their honeymoon. They're not thinking about it. Oh, smoochie, let it go. And all I could think was, smoochie, there's an irony. Since that's what I forgot to have him do was smoochie. By the way, this doesn't mean that you can call me Pastor Smoochie from now on. Dr. Smoochie to y'all. I hate to forget things. The problem is I do it all the time. Forget people's names, forget where I put my car keys, and all that's awkward and embarrassing, but it becomes a spiritual problem when what I forget about is God and His faithfulness and all that He's done for me. Because when I forget those things about God, that's when I begin to get anxious and worried about the future, wondering, is God going to be there for me when times get tough? I think that's why throughout Scripture... The Bible commands us to remember what God has done. Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives your sins, heals your diseases, and has redeemed your life from the pit. Throughout Scripture, one of the primary acts of faith is to remember. Because it's by remembering who God is and what he's done that our faith holds together when times get tough. 
In fact, that's what the word means. To put back together again. To remember what has been dismembered. So when I'm facing a difficult time in life, one of the best things I can do is to remember all the ways that God has been faithful in the past. Because when I remember those things, I have confidence that the God who was faithful then will be faithful again. Remembering strengthens our faith. And that's what we've been doing here this morning. We've been remembering not how great we are as a church, though I think we're a great church. We've been remembering how faithful God has been. And we do that not just to celebrate the past, though that's a good thing to do. We also do it to gain confidence for the future. That for us as individuals and collectively as a church, the God who has been faithful all of those years, the God who loved us so much that he came himself in the perfect person of Jesus to die for us so we could be reconciled to him, that God will continue to be faithful in the years ahead. You see, we don't remember the past just to dwell in the past because the God who tells us to remember also says, Behold, a new thing I will do. We remember the past to gain confidence in the future. We look back to look ahead. As a church, I think we've got a great story. A church that was planted 50 years ago when Bellevue only had one stoplight. Some people didn't think there needed to be a Presbyterian church in Bellevue. But Frank Burgess and some crazy people had a vision. And for a church that started by meeting in a funeral home, we've shown remarkable life <laughs> over the years. And for 50 years, as Dick has said, this church has been making Christ known through how we serve and through how we send and through our common life together. Doing things from starting coffee houses for hippies all the way to our partnership with Stevenson. And it has been a great run. But with God, the best is always yet to be. And I believe as great as our past has been, and it has been great, God's not done, because he never is. And that the God who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I believe that what God would say to us today is, First Press Bellevue, well done, well done. But wait, I've got more. Hang on to your hats, because y'all ain't seen nothing yet. And if you think the last 50 years were cool, well, I'm just getting started. Wait till you see what I got planned for the next 50. So, First Presbyterian Church of Bellevue, to paraphrase Betty Davis, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a great ride. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us as individuals and us as a church. Lord, thank you for the dedicated, wonderful men and women of this church who have sought to do your will for 50 years. And Lord, thank you that you're not done. With you, there's always more. And Lord, we look forward to the next 50 years with you. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.